Tonight we're going to begin looking at the book of Habakkuk, looking at mainly chapter 1 and just a few verses of chapter 2. And I want to show what we can learn from the concern that Habakkuk shows for the people. And as you go, as we've been looking through the prophets, one can help but wonder, does God ever get tired of people rebelling against Him? I think the answer has to be yes, because if His long-suffering never came to the point where He was going to not, you know, if He never got to the point where He's going to not bring wrath upon someone, that would mean He never got tired of it. He'd continue on allowing Him to do that. But His wrath says that He does have a line, and we find that He does punish those who rebel against Him and refuse to come back to Him. But we see over and over and over again, as you've heard me say already several times, those who are rebelling against God. And what we find is each of these prophets lived at different times. Some of them may have overlapped. I haven't looked into all that. But they all had different time periods and different situations. But at the same time, they also still had a very similar situation in that they were dealing with people who were rebelling against God. The name Habakkuk means embrace or ardent embrace. It's interesting to have the names, especially in the Old Testament, uh, have what their meanings are behind them. We, we've talked about others, some you know, their names mean comforter and so on, uh, some mean mourning or, or mourner, those types of things. And, and Habakkuk here, the idea of his name means embrace or ardent embrace. We begin in Habakkuk chapter 1 with the name, as I mentioned already, the name Habakkuk here means embrace or artist embrace. But we begin in verses 1 and following here looking at confusion and God's reply. The confusion is not God's confusion. It's the confusion of Habakkuk. Sometimes the commentators talk about the perplexity, but the idea is the same. Confusion and God's reply through that confusion. We begin by first looking at how Habakkuk brings his complaints to God, beginning in verses, really verses 2 through 4, but we're going to include verse 1 uh, as well. Here, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. It's interesting that the first verse is the burden which he saw. Burden really describes what he has seen, and it is a burden to see those who are rebelling against God. And no doubt he was seeing those who were deliberately doing so. He had to watch people rebel against God, and it was a burden to him, and he no doubt it was very heartbreaking as well. Looking at verses 2 through 4, we find the prophet laments over the wickedness and violence that was going on. He says here, O Lord, how long shall I cry? This being a reference to him praying to God. That cry shows how he's praying to him, a sincere, he might say a desperate prayer to God. How long shall I cry and you will not hear me? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment Proceeds. Boy, doesn't so much of that sound still familiar today. So much what we see in the prophets, we can find mirrored still today. I think many times, no matter what time you're living in, we can find that 
much of what the prophets were seeing was being also repeated still today. History has a way of repeating itself. But notice he says here in verse 2, he says, And you will not hear. This does not mean literally that God does not hear the prayer of Habakkuk, but God has not yet, you must say, has not yet responded to that. We know the Bible teaches that God hears the prayers, and know that He hears and responds to those who are faithful to Him. But we also have to understand, I think what Habakkuk also brings out, is that God does things according to His own time as well. That's why I chose that little graphic there with the clock, because Habakkuk was going to have to choose to wait upon God. He says there in verse 2, he says, And you will not hear, even cry out to you violence. He's talking about the things he is seeing. He says, Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity? Which means this is what Habakkuk is seeing, iniquity or sin, and cause me to see trouble. He says, For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises, just upset, anger, arguments. Confusions, all types of things that were happening there in verses 2 and 3. In verse 4 he says, Therefore the law is powerless. Now some could say the law is a reference to the, God, the law of God. Well, the law of God is not actually powerless. The men don't use its power when they rebel against God. But I think also he really is referring to the law of the land there. It's powerless in the sense that no one is obeying the law. He says, and justice never goes forth. That means people never get what they actually deserve for the crimes they, ever, they are committing. We don't see that today, do we? He says, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. The wicked surround the righteous shows the, rich, the righteous are outnumbered. Even the righteous are perhaps being bullied or harassed. And he says there as a result in verse 4, perverse judgment Proceeds. It means no, no true righteous judgment comes out of it. Those are the things which Habakkuk was seeing, and that's why, no doubt, he was crying out to God. We see there in verse 2. When he says, How long? It tells you that he's been praying to God for a while. How long shall I, shall I cry? And you will not hear. No doubt, sometimes we're not careful, we allow ourselves to feel the very same way. We find next God's reply in the coming wrath. God always replies. Because you realize sometimes He replies in accordance to His own time, but always also in accordance to His own will. We look at verses 5 and 6. God's reply. Look among the nations and watch, He says, and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though if it were told you. Now, I've seen this put on a lot of billboards and a lot of signs around town today. People have put this on, especially on some quote-unquote Christian schools. They put this verse up there. I'm not sure how they're trying to apply it, but we find it here, the idea that God was bringing nations against them to punish them. Maybe that's exactly what they meant. Who knows? We're looking in verse 5. He says, For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, which means he's, he's basically saying, I'm going to blow your mind of what I'm going to do to these people. Though it were told you, for, I, for indeed, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. He says they're not a very good group of people, right? He says they're bitter, they're hasty, and what's he going to do? He's going to use them to punish another group of people. We see that time and time again throughout the Bible, don't we? Israel was punished by numerous people numerous times, carried off in captivity, 
time and time again, God's people were punished by God using another nation to rise up against them, to punish them, because there's always some evil nation somewhere that God can use to punish us. And that's what he does here in verse 5. Excuse me, verse 6. He says, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. He's saying they just march about seeking who they can overcome and take their land from them. He says, That's what I'm going to bring up against you. Look at verse 7 and following. He talks about their character. He says, They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge her head. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the, like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. That sounds like a pretty good army, doesn't it? He says their horses are like leopards. They're swifter, they're, they're more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers are charger head. Their cavalry comes from afar, which tells us they're probably a very large cavalry. They fly as the eagle hastens, which means they can cover a lot of land fast. You got fast horses, you have fast chariots, you have fast armies, fast cavalry there. And he says, they fly as the eagle that hastens to eat, showing how swift they move. Then you notice this in verse 9. They all come for violence. It means they all come ready to fight. And that's the kind of people God was bringing against them. Because you go back to verses 2 through 4, what was Habakkuk seeing? Wickedness, sin, injustice, and so on. Verse 9, they all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind, which means they have a determined look about them. They gather captives like sand, which tells you they take a lot of people with them. Looking at verse 10, he says they scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. They, then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Notice what he says there in verse 11. His mind changes, he transgresses, he commits offense, ascribing this power to his, notice little g, God. They do all these things because they are mighty, right, in an army. Then he says, they turn around and they say their little God did all this. Their false God, their idol. That's the kind of people God was going to bring against them. Wicked people, strong people, fast people, and no doubt very skilled in war and skilled just in battle in general. Not the kind of people you'd hope to come up against, right? But that's what God was bringing against them. We continue on in chapter 12. We see still continued confusion by Habakkuk. And then we find again God's reply. We find God's reply to Habakkuk's second complaint in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 1. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed for them judgments. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. There is confident hope that God's people would not perish there in verse 12, right? We know that overwhelmingly when God punishes wicked people, there's a remnant left behind, right? There's that small remnant that will carry on. 
And he says there in verse 12, We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for, for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. God was going to punish them, but we also find that Habakkuk was confident that they would not utterly be destroyed. Looking at verses 13 and following, he says, You are, pure, you are of purer eyes than, than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and get them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnets, because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? We find there in verse 17, that's his complaint, right? The idea that the wicked are just going to continue to prosper. But if you continue reading on, we'll find later in the chapter, later on through Habakkuk, that even the Chaldeans are going to have punishment come from God. But for a time, God was going to use them to punish the righteous. Were the Chaldeans going to get off scot-free? That's the idea we find here, verses 13 through 17. They're going to continue to be able to do these things and say their false gods have done this. Well, we know God better than that. But that is Habakkuk's complaint. That is his confusion or his perplexity over God's use of an evil nation. But let's notice next, Habakkuk determines to wait on God's response in chapter 2. We're looking at just the first three verses in Habakkuk chapter 2. And looking at verse 1, we find the prophet decides to wait. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Now, the rampart is the idea really of just being a stronghold. He says, I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what, and what I will answer when I am corrected. He decides, he says, he will wait on God. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. He will wait for God to act and tell him basically what he needs to do, right? He says, and watch to see what he will say to me, as God speaking to Habakkuk, right? And what I will answer when I am corrected. He says, when I'm doing something wrong, he'll wait beside them what he's going to answer God. Even Habakkuk realizes there's a chance he needs to be corrected by God. But he also says here in verse 1 that he's going to wait for God's response. You might say he's going to wait for God to move first, right? We find next in verses 2 and 3, the promise is certain. He says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is, is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now he's talking about the idea that the promise of punishment is going to come. And, or the, the, the punishment is going to come. He says that at the end it will at the end it will speak and it will not lie, which means God's going to carry out these things. It was written on that tablet, which we'll talk more about later. He says, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You know what God's talking about there in those two verses? Long suffering for those people. 
Why was his punishment tearing, or why was it in waiting? Because the longer God waited, the more chance there was for individuals to come back to him. If God saw people sin and just brought wrath upon them very quickly, especially during this context here, people would die if not saved without a chance or perhaps even repenting. But instead he gave them more than ample time to come around, more than ample time to repent and make themselves right with God. So we see in chapter 1, in this first few verses of chapter 2, we find Habakkuk's complaint. We find God's reply that, hey, wrath is coming. I'm going to use the Chaldeans, who is mighty. They're going, to, they're going to bring punishment against them. Habakkuk complains about God using this wicked nation. We'll find out later that they too, Chaldeans, are going to feel wrath from God as well. He uses them, and then he punishes them. Why? Because God is a God who knows how to deal with the righteous and with the wicked. It's interesting that during this time, neither group would go without facing the wrath of God. Some lessons for us to think about today. Punishment from God can appear from anywhere. Sometimes punishment comes in the form of a sermon or a form of a Bible class that really hits us hard and we realize we need to make some changes. They can come from anywhere. I remember years ago, I say years ago like I'm that old, but anyway, a while back when I was preaching uh, in Missouri, I did a lesson that was one of those I thought wasn't really that strong of a moving lesson, but it was about the idea of repenting and, and every situation, those types of things, and an individual came forward and responded, as we say came forward and responded to that lesson. It's the first time in my young preaching time that that ever happened. And I was really kind of surprised because the lesson I taught, I really didn't think it was going to be one that was going to just really cause someone to do that. But friends, we have to realize that correction and a prick in the heart can come from anywhere at any time. And we have to be those who, when we realize what's taking place, those who humble ourselves and make ourselves right with God. And with Habakkuk, during this time period, these people are going to have to make themselves right with God. God never fails to punish those who have turned away from Him. And those who desire to serve self and not God will always get what they deserve. They will always get what they deserve. You remember during Noah's time, building the ark, now he was mocked, we could probably say without mercy, for a long time when he built the ark, right? I mean, he builds an ark when there's no chance of a flood until there's a flood. Did those people get what they deserved in the end? Yes. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, his family leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Seemingly, for some, the wicked would say, why would you leave this place, right? They said that until they saw fire coming down from heaven, fire and brimstone, right? The wicked always give what they deserve. The people of Israel escaping from Egypt and being pursued by Pharaoh's army, right? And they get out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. And as they cross it, they come back. They can watch Pharaoh's army be destroyed by the water of the sea. Because the wicked always give what they deserve. The wicked always give what they deserve. I, I think about many times what it must have been like for Moses and for those people of Israel to stand on the other side of the river and watch that water collapse, the water, walls of water collapse on Pharaoh's army. That giant army being completely, literally washed away. 
No doubt would have been quite the scene to, to behold. We must trust in God's promises and wait on Him. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, that's what he had chosen to do. Habakkuk decided to wait on God while standing on his stronghold. He was going to wait and see what God wanted from him, and then he was going to react and respond in accordance to God's will. And we too must wait on God like so many others have done before us. We must be those who are patient with our prayers, though sometimes it can be difficult. I think about Psalm 27, verse 14, where the psalmist says, Wait in the Lord, be of good cheer, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on God. Psalm 37, verse 34, tells us much the same. Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Wait on the Lord. We must be patient people, which is no doubt very difficult. As we close this evening, we know that mankind has shown itself to learn very slowly from its mistakes and to ignore the lessons we can learn from those who have gone on before us. The book of Revelation talks about those who died for their faith and how their lives would continue on in many ways, right? How we would continue to learn from them. And we must do the same today. Learn from those who have gone before us. Learn from our faithful brothers and sisters who have remained faithful to God and learn from their example. Like those in the time of Habakkuk, we must learn from our past mistakes before the inevitable punishment comes because judgment day is going to come. It may not come today. It may not come tomorrow. It may not come this year. But it is coming. We buy insurance because we don't know what's coming. We want to be prepared, right? The Christian becomes faithful to God, obeys the gospel, wants to remain faithful to God because we know what is coming. We just don't know when. We must make sure that we are properly prepared for the judgment day. Those in Habakkuk's time were rebelling against God. And while Habakkuk was calling out to God, how long is this going to last? God basically was telling him, as we saw this evening, just wait. Just wait. Not just wait and see what I'm going to do, though that was part of it. But with him being patient, it did allow more chance for people to come back to God. We want to be those who are patient and wait on God, trust in Him, who also at the same time are preparing for the judgment day. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. As we stand and sing the song that's been selected.